Turn to John chapter 19. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture, but all the Scripture will be on the PowerPoint. This is the only one we're going to turn to. John chapter 19. We want to talk about what does Easter mean? What does it mean that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? And what does it mean that He died? When we say Jesus rose for you, Jesus died for you, what does that mean to you? Why did He die? And why did He rise again? In John chapter 19, he says three words that I think we need to understand. It's very, very important for us to understand these three words. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. I want you to think about that statement before we go any further. Think about it just for a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, knew that all things were now accomplished. That's amazing. That is amazing. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. An amazing three verses and an amazing three words. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God the creator and sustainer of the universe, then makes this statement. It is finished. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, he says, it is finished. Now, here's my question for you today. Do you believe that? It is finished. It is done Everything that needs to be done has been done. I don't need to do anything else. There's not one thing else for humanity that I need to do that I haven't done. I've done it all. I've done everything I was sent to do, everything I'm supposed to do, and everything that you need to have a right relationship with God, I've already taken care of. Everything on God's part has been done. It's now up to us. It's all been done. It's, it is finished. Think about these three words. It is finished. I don't need to do anything else. There's not one thing I left unchecked on my list this morning. There's not one thing I left undone on the list I brought from heaven to do on these 33, for these 33 years. I've done it all. It's all done. It's over. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. That's amazing to me. What does that mean that it's finished? We need to understand that Jesus died and rose again, and that his death and his resurrection has significance to us. Both have significance to us. We need to understand. What does it mean that he died? Listen, he died to give me eternal life. He rose to give me abundant life. See, it's not just that he died for my sins, and that one day when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but I can experience heaven on earth between now and then because he didn't stay in the tomb, but he rose. He rose victoriously, and so I can then live victoriously. 
buried with him in death, the Bible tells me, raised to walk a new life in Christ. I can walk a new life in him because of his resurrection. Now, what does it mean that he died and that he rose again? I want you to understand there are four things that I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about them from the standpoint that what he did when he died and what he did when he rose again. And the first one is this. He bore and released us from shame. He bore my shame on the cross and he released me from shame in his resurrection. In other words, not only did he bear my shame, but he gave me the power to walk an unashamed or a shameless life where I don't have to be bound by shame. I don't have to be bound by my past. I don't have to be bound by insecurity, inferiority, fear. I don't have to be bound by guilt and condemnation. I can stand up in front of you and talk when I used to never wanted to do anything like this. Because he's released me from my past. Now, my past is bad. It's badder than yours. It's worse. I, I know it is. You don't. I, I just. I just know. And when I say that, I know some of you conjure up this very, very wicked background. I, I, let me just let you know something too. Your past is bad too. I just have a correct perspective of how bad my past was, and you need one too. <laughs> Maybe you were never in drugs. Maybe you got saved when you were six, but you've had thoughts of loneliness and insecurity and fear, and you've had embarrassing, humiliating times, and you've had pride, and you've had anger, and you've had bitterness, and all of it's bad. I have a bad past. But you know the good news? It's all under the blood. Every bit of it. And because of that, Jesus has released me from shame. Uh, let me show you a couple of scriptures. Genesis 2, 24 and 25 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you to notice something. Before sin, there was no shame in the world. Before sin. And then when they fell, look what happened. In Genesis 3, verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, look at it, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Among the trees of the garden. That's what sin does. We hide from God. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of which I command you not to eat. Shame came into the world when sin came into the world. The first response to sin was shame. The very, very first response. They eat the apple and immediately they're ashamed. And they try to run and they try to hide and they try to cover up. Now, when a, when a husband and wife are, are in the bedroom getting ready for to go to church or to go to work or whatever, and they're walking around, they're getting dressed. There's no shame. No shame at all. But let me just explain something to you. If you're 
newly married or if, you, if you're not married. Let me just explain something to you, all right? When you're walking around in the bedroom like that, getting ready, after a few years of having children, you will learn to be able to hear the doorknob turning. <laughs> and there is a rule that you need to know if you don't know. Children only enter a room when you are naked. They don't need help any other time except if you're naked. If you're naked, they need your help and they need it then. And for some reason, the doorknob does not squeak when you're completely naked. It only squeaks if you have a, a few clothes on. And so there you are walking around unashamed, nothing's wrong, and all of a sudden, Mom, you know, and what happens? No, it's a ghost shark, Right? Why? Because we try to run away, we try to hide, we try to cover up our physical nakedness. Do you realize that since the fall, we've been trying to run away, trying to hide, and trying to cover up our spiritual nakedness? And we come to God even in church, and say, don't look. Don't look. Listen to me. We don't have to live with shame. Jesus Christ bore my shame on the cross. I never understood this, but before the Lord set me free from shame, I either had to be the center of attention or I stood in the corner. Now hear me, because some of you are like this. When I would go to a party, if I wasn't the center of attention, I basically stood over against the wall, you know, just like this. You know what I'm doing? I'm just kind of, don't want anyone to see. Don't want anyone to know who I really am. But if I can be the center of attention, I can also cover up my shame. I can also cover up who I really am. And some of us still live like that to this day. That's shame. We do not have to be ashamed. Jesus Christ came to set us free from shame. There were no extroverts or introverts in the Garden of Eden before the fall. The reason that people are, are overtly extrovert or overtly introvert is shame. Introverts have shame. Extroverts have shame. Each of them are just trying to hide in a different way. Jesus Christ bore my shame. He died and rose again to release me from shame. What, what Adam and do? What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They immediately got some fig leaves. They got some plants. You know, I think we still carry plants around. Literally, I mean, they're prettier today. You know, they look like this. This is the way. Look, this is the way we come to church, right here. Hi, how y'all doing? And someone comes up, how you doing? Oh, hey, 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 how are you doing? Say, oh, oh, hey, hey, how you, how you doing? See, I hope this is okay. <laughs> is it? Well, this is the way we walk around at church, right? Just like this, you see? And we just don't, we don't want anyone to ever look behind the plant. And if we ever go to a church where they start asking us to get more involved, and to start volunteering and to get involved in classes and to get discipled and to get in a life group and to start building relationships with people. There are a lot of people who'll just leave and go to a, le a church that doesn't require so much commitment because people are going to get to know me. 
And I'm afraid if they get to know me, they won't like me. Jesus bore my shame. I can have an open and honest relationship. You know, one of the comments I hear the most, and I don't understand, well, I do understand it, but it doesn't surprise me. People say to me, you're so honest. You're you're so transparent in the pulpit. I, I, I don't know any other way to be. I don't know how to cover up because Jesus has set me free. From shame, I can be who God made me to be. And you can be who God made you to be. I can have an open and honest relationship with you because I've been set free from shame. And I can have an open and honest relationship with my wife. And I can have an open and honest relationship with my God. Because He set me free. You know, there's some verses that all of us know, yet we miss one. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Have you ever heard of that scripture? Verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You ever heard of that scripture? So we read verse 9 and verse 13. Do you know what is right in the middle of those two verses? Verse 11 says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus bore and released me from shame. And here's the second thing he did. He bore and released us from slavery. Now, if you're still in John 19, if you want to flip back just a few pages to John chapter 8. He bore and released us from slavery. John chapter 8. Look at verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now look at verse 33 carefully. Look at it carefully and think about what they said. Think about this. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Have you all ever read the Bible? They've been in bondage to everyone. They'd been in bondage to the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. And listen, listen, when they made the statement, they were in bondage to the Romans. Now you talk about spiritual blindness. Why? We've never been in bondage. Well, and they got chains on them. Creep, 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 creep. Now listen. Before we laugh too much at them, pastor gets up and preaches on lust, anxiety, fear, unbelief, preaches on sin, and we sit out there like, well, sure I'm glad I'm saved. Don't have any of those problems anymore. Why? And you can be made free. If you'll just read this book, you can be made free. And you, we sit out there like, well, we're Christians. We're not in bondage. So Jesus wants to make it clear 
Okay? They said, well, we don't understand what you mean, you will be made free. How can you say you will be made free? All right, look, look at the next verse, verse 34. Jesus answered and said, let me make it plain. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Anyone here ever been a slave? <laughs> According to that definition? Yes. But watch the next verse, one of the most overlooked and best verses in the Bible. Verse 35. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son does. A son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Guess what? I have good news for you. You're free indeed. If the son makes you free, you're free indeed. And guess what? You're not a slave anymore. You're a son. A son does not abide in the house forever. I can't live. A slave does not abide in the house forever. I can't live in God's house and be a slave forever. I have to have him change me to be a son, into a son. Galatians 4 verse 7 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. I can be set free by God's grace and God's mercy and what he did on the cross. 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He has destroyed the power of sin over my life. Men, I have good news for you. You do not have to be in bondage to lust for the rest of your life. You can, by the grace of God, get free. Ladies, I have good news for you. You do not have to be in bondage to fear the rest of your life. You not only get eternal life from Jesus, you get abundant life. Not just that He died to pay for my sins, but He rose to give me the power to walk in a new life on this earth. I can walk victoriously because the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. That's amazing. That's the power of His resurrection. I can be free. And when we read John 19 a moment ago, he said one thing before he said, and it's finished. He said, I thirst. I thirst. And that, that's amazing. Now, let me explain something to you. I think there was a physical thirsting. I think that he was physically thirsty because one of the, uh, one of the things that crucifixion causes is dehydration. You begin to lose your bodily fluids. Let me, let me read you something. A young Turkish officer was crucified on the banks of the Barada River, on the banks of a river under the castle of Damascus. He was nailed to the cross on Friday and remained until Sunday noon when he died. This young boy continued looking around him to the right and to the left upon the people. Because of dehydration, he begged for water, but none was given him. And the hearts of the people were melted with compassion for him and with pity on one of God's creatures who yet a boy was suffering under so grievous a trial. In the meantime, in the meantime, the river was flowing all around him and he gazed upon it and he longed for just one drop. One of the reasons Jesus said, I thirst, is he fulfilled Scripture. Psalm 69, verse 21. It says, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. In Psalm 22, verse 15, he said, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. So I believe there was a physical thirst. But I believe there was also a spiritual thirst. If you remember, do you remember just the evening before when he was in the garden? 
He said a very famous prayer that we all know now. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. I believe when Jesus said, I thirst, not only was he fulfilling Scripture, and not only was he very dehydrated and thirsting physically, I believe he was saying, Father, I'm ready to drink the cup. And I am ready to be separated from you so that those that we created and that we love who have been separated don't have to be separated anymore. I'm willing to be forsaken so they can be accepted. I'm willing to be rejected so that they can be accepted by you and into our fold, God. I thirst. I'm ready. Bitter or sour wine represents bondage in the Bible. See, Jesus died for our slavery, for our bondages, for the things that hold us in bondage. In the Passover meal, they took bitter herbs. Why? To remind them of the bondage of Egypt. Of the bondage of slavery. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, right before he said in his finish, received sour wine representing the bondage that we're in that we can be released from. I don't have to live in bondage, and you don't either. That's what I want you to know. It's good news. You realize the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. The good news is that Jesus bore and released me from slavery. Here's the third thing. He bore and released us from sickness. This is the Bible also. He not only bore my sin, He bore my sickness. This is absolutely wonderful. Matthew 8, verse 16 and 17 says, When evening come, they brought to Him many who were demon-possessed. And He cast out the spirits with the Word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Do you see those last three words? Bore our sicknesses. Do you see that in your Bible? You see that? Okay. If the Bible says He bore our sicknesses, why don't we just receive that? Isn't that good news also? He bore my sickness. Look, look at these scriptures. Exodus 23, verse 25. He says, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Now, I want you to notice where this is. It's an exodus. This is a part of the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, God provided healing. In the Old Covenant. I will take sickness away from the midst of you. And Deuteronomy 7 verse 15 says, And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Okay, that's Deuteronomy. That's the Old Covenant as well. Have a qu- Listen, listen, listen. Healing was a part of the Old Covenant. Hebrews tells us that the New Covenant is a better covenant. Will you please tell me then how healing was a part of the Old Covenant and it's not a part of the better covenant? We have a better covenant. Everyone agree the New Covenant's a better covenant? Then why did He take something out that was good for us? He didn't. Because Matthew 8 that we just read says, Jesus bore our sicknesses. On the cross. 
It's quoting from Isaiah. It says it's fulfilled Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Please hear me. Not only did he bear your physical sicknesses, he bore your spiritual sicknesses, and he bore your emotional sicknesses too. Have you ever grieved? Jesus bore your griefs. And he carried your sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He is wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, look at this last line. By his stripes we are healed. And don't let some Dr. Fuzzy Face say that doesn't mean physical healing either. Because it does. You, you can look it up for yourself. It's amazing. We used to have preachers stand up and say, now in the Hebrew, most of you can go home and get on your Bible program and see if that's really what it says. That's great. Go home and check it out and see what that word says. By his stripes you were, you are healed. By his stripes we are healed. And 1 Peter 2.24 confirms it. New Testament confirmation. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Look, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, I just want you to notice something. Difference. One word's different in Isaiah and Peter. One word. Isaiah said, you are healed. Peter said, oh, you were healed. Listen, if this is the cross right here in the middle of the platform, this is the cross and this is a timeline. Isaiah is before the cross and Isaiah looks forward to the cross and through the Holy Spirit says, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. And Peter, though, is after the cross and Peter looks back to the cross and says, by his stripes, we were healed. Jesus' back was completely laid open by that scourge for your healing. He took stripes on his back so you could be healed. Listen carefully to me. Don't let him take the stripes in vain. Don't let Satan talk you into not getting something that he's already paid for for you. Do you think he's ever going to die again for your sins? He doesn't need to, does he? Okay, listen carefully to me. He's not going to be scourged again for your sickness. He's already done it. It's a part of the atonement. He was scourged so you could be healed. Don't let Satan tell you anything differently. And here's the fourth thing. He bore and released us from sin. We just read it, first Peter two twenty four, who himself bore our sins in his own body, that we having died to sins might live to righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. He bore our sins. I have a question for you. I have several questions for you about this. Now look at that verse just for a moment. He bore our sins. Everyone see that? You see that? Okay, I want to ask you something. How many of our sins did he bear. Now, are you sure? Did he, did he bear the little ones, too? What about the big ones? What about the good ones, if there is a, a good sin? The only reason I asked you that, because I don't think there is, is because I want to ask you this one. Did he bear the bad ones? 
Did he bear the really bad ones? And you're sure he bore all of them? Wait, wait, wait. What about the sin that you keep repeating over and over and over again? Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Did he bear the sin that you tell him, I'll never do it again, never do it again, never do it again, and you always go back and do it again? Did he bear that sin also? Did he bear the sins you committed last week? Oh, you had to think about that one, didn't you? <laughs> Did he bear the sins you committed last week? See, some of you think, well, I don't know if I committed. Let me think there. All right, all right. Did he bear the ones that you might commit this week? This just gets better and better the more we talk about it, doesn't it? He bore all my sins. All of my sins have been borne on the cross, but He not only bore my sins on the cross, listen, you have to catch this, He released me from the power of sin by His resurrection. I do not have to be in bondage the rest of my life. I do not have to be under the power of sin the rest of my life. I can live free by God's grace, by what He did for me on the cross. Jesus bore and released me and you from shame, from slavery, from sickness, and from sin, and from the power of sin. He did a work in my life. He can do a work in your life. Maybe he hadn't already done it. There's a description in the Old Testament of the crucifixion of Christ that most believers don't even know exists. If you said, what's the best description in the Old Testament of the crucifixion, most would say Isaiah 53. And that's a very good description. It's a very good description. But there's another one that has more prophecies fulfilled in one chapter about his crucifixion. And most don't even know it exists. Most know the passage, the chapter after, though. Let me just tell you a few of the quotations from the chapter after, and you see if you know where this is. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You ever, you ever heard of that psalm before? What psalm is that? Psalm 23. Let me just read you a few of the verses from Psalm 22, and I want you to catch this. Psalm 22 says... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Look at verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head and they say, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. By the way, I want you to notice the capital H's here. Let him, the Father, rescue him, the Son. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. They gape at me with their mouths, like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Do you remember what happened when they put the spear in his side? 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. A prophecy that none of his bones were broken, but it also could have been a prophecy that because of the scourge wrapping around his body and tearing the flesh off that he could look down and literally count his bones. The verse we read before in this passage said, I can see my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen to me carefully. He was forsaken so we could be accepted. He was embarrassed so we don't have to hide anymore. He was beaten so we could be healed. He died so we could live. He died for your bondage. He rose for your freedom. He died for your sickness. He rose for your healing. He died for your curse. He rose for your blessing. Jesus died and rose for you. Will you receive what He did for you? Sometimes at an Easter service, people come who believe in God, but they really don't have a close relationship with Him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you came with some friends or family today. Maybe you grew up in church. But if you are honest today, everything's not right between you and God. Your relationship just isn't right. You can get it right today. Did you know that? It's very, very easy. You say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. My, my life's very complicated. I know we have complicated lives. But God made salvation easy. It's the devil that tries to complicate it so we won't find it. It really is easy. We read it just a moment ago. That if you'll confess with your mouth 
and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you'll confess and believe the resurrection, you'll be saved. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no one's looking around. The reason I'm doing this is because I want you to be able to have a private moment with God. Do you need to give Him your life today? What better place? What better time? No one's looking around. How many of you would say, just to me, just to me, Robert, I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. I know all that. But to be honest with you, I'm not right with God. My relationship is not right with God. And I want to make it right. If that's you, no one's looking around. Will you just put your hand up where I can see it and then put it right back there? Just put it up. God bless you. God bless you and you and you and you. God bless you. You put your hands down. Just put it way up high and then put it back down. God bless you. God bless you, sir. I want to lead you in a prayer. You say, my relationship's not right with God, but I want to get it right. I want to lead you in a prayer. And as I pray out loud, I want you to just pray this in your heart. If you mean business with God, listen to me. I may look like a preacher to you, but I'm a regular guy. I prayed this prayer in a motel room. And God changed my life. He's just waiting. See, it's finished. Everything's been done for you to be able to have a right relationship with God. And live a victorious life on this earth. It's all been done. He's just waiting for you to accept what he did for you. And if that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. And as I pray out loud, just pray this in your heart to God. Pray this to God, dear God. Pray that to him, dear God. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. And no one's looked around. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant business with God, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But just as a declaration to me, if you prayed that prayer and you really meant business with God, would you just put your hand up and hold it up just for a minute? Put it way up high and hold it up. You ought to be proud to put it up. Put it up and hold it up just for a minute. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Father, thank you for every one of these that prayed that prayer just now. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are able to do a miracle in every life represented here today. And Lord, that you not only can can bear our sin, but you can release us from the power of sin. And Lord, I thank you, and I just speak your life and your joy and your health and your peace over every one of these. In Jesus' name.